Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. To be warriors of change, marketers must understand tomorrow's problems today. Being marketing fit means your business remains healthy and profitable. In this University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management miniseries, we'll debate the challenges CMOs are facing, the changing MarTech landscape, and emerging data conundrums. Together with our expert guests, we'll unpack corporate culture, emotional intelligence, and the customer experience of this. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, together with the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management, here is your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, Future Fit Tribe, welcome back to yet another fantastic episode with the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management as we get you marketing fit. So today in studio, we're sitting with doctors. I'm the patient um, for the day. Petrified. <laughs> uh, we're sitting around the table. Now I'm just joking with you guys, but we are sitting here with some profound people that is going to take us um, through a very interesting topic that is something that we really need to talk about, which is a soft skill, emotional intelligence. Now, before we get started, I would like to introduce you to the people, but I think it would be better actually if they introduce themselves. So Carolina, if you were at a party, how would you introduce yourself? I would say I'm Carolina Hen and I talk a lot <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a psychologist Okay, fantastic. Okay, um, Beate, yeah. So people can never pronounce my name or they think it's funny because it's a German name. But I normally <laughs> say it's Beate. No, it's not BT or Beyonce. I've had those before. <laughs> so I would say I'm uh, Beate and I'm at the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management. Fantastic. Hello, Carmen. My name is Marius Wade, a Bursian with an English surname. <laughs> I am the head of department <laughs> at UJ of Marketing. Fantastic. Okay, Marius, maybe you can tell us first, what was your PhD all about? My PhD was in psychometric testing of salespeople. So what I did is I did a psychometric analysis of people. I put them through an intervention, and then I wanted to see if the psychometric analysis, if there was a shift towards the proper profile of a salesperson. How long did it take you? Uh, the testing alone was two years. It Is was, that the encyclopedia? It's 500 freaking pages. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's an encyclopedia. <laughs> Beata, what, what was your um, PhD? Okay, so my PhD in one of the other episodes, I said uh, my PhD is in luxury brands. So one of the aspects that I looked at in particular was South African market segments and what different market segments do we have for luxury. And one paper in particular, which was quite interesting, was looking at luxury brand consumption mm -hmm. and to see how we have very different market segments and how to appeal and target them. Very interesting. And I know that a brand that South Africans love, which is one of the top luxury brands, is Gucci. Mm. Yeah, I know that. Okay, Carolina. Okay, my PhD was many years ago. It was about the psychological well-being of black adolescents. Wow. Yes. So we looked at things like self-esteem, depression, social support and among black and high how, school children. 
And how has that research, has it changed in any shape or form if you compare it to today? My own research? Yeah. Yes, well, I'm still in well-being, but now I've shifted towards the industrial psychology. I'm oh. actually a, a counselling psychologist, but I teach at UJ in the industrial psychology program. I'm still in well-being, and I, at the moment, my key research areas is about well-being in the workplace, mental health at work, and also especially working women. Oh, my gosh. This is like going to be an epic episode. Okay, so before we get started, just want to tell the audience, for all of you, we're going to unpack today emotional intelligence. Now, the way we're going to approach this is tackling tomorrow's problems today. So we want to understand what tomorrow's problems are and how we can start solving them today. So UJ actually prepared, the team sitting here with us, prepared a white paper for you. So if you go in the show notes below, you can download the link and we'll take you to this white paper that will give you a comprehensive idea of the conversation of what the problems are and how we can solve it tomorrow. So without further ado, let's start. Carolina, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question to you and, and guys feel free to jump in. So what is the state of emotional intelligence in society today? What is the research showing us and do we actually have the ability to learn emotional intelligence? Okay, it's very difficult. There's no specific research that will tell you levels are high or low or average, but we do pick up that people are battling. If you just look at, for example, burnout levels in workplaces, so there's indirect ways in which we observe that people are battling, and that is partly influenced by their ability to handle their own emotions, to handle other people's emotions, uh, because we are such emotional beings, and we take ourselves and all our issues into work. Mm. So I think um, South African people are also going through difficult times. I think given the high crime rate, for example, we already are semi-post-traumatized mm. just by what we hear on the news. Mm. And now we are already stressed. If you look at the increase in road rage incidents, for mm. example, that's part of people who are just unable to cope with many negative emotions. And somewhere it just pops and it explodes. So there's a lot of work to be done to help people. And mm. the good news is that you can learn to become more emotionally intelligent. It is something you can learn. Personalities are more stable. Personality doesn't change easily. And there is overlap between emotional intelligence traits and personality traits. But whereas personality, we can work on our personality, but an extrovert will not really become an introvert. You can, move a, you can move a little bit on the scale, but you'll never change completely. But we can learn skills to improve our emotional intelligence and to deal better with people. It is possible. It is, so, so, so the sooner we start, so if we can start with little children, mm. that's the best. And mm. when you talk about mental health, because obviously you, mm -hmm. you're very passionate about the subject, when people are going through a situation where they feel like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And mental well-being is starting to become a topic that we all can discuss, which has never happened before. I, the Royals um, has started the program. I can't remember what it was mm. called. But anyway. I can't remember. Yes, either, yeah. you know, making it socially acceptable to talk about mental well-being. But there's a lot of things happening in, in one of our previous episodes. We spoke about corporate culture. And corporate culture almost becomes this abyss of, you know, politics and people being corrupted by corporate politics, people not having the emotional intelligence to handle this. What is your views on that and how that impacts your mental health? People are under a huge amount of pressure. 
in the workplace. There is really no such thing as even work-life balance anymore. You are, and technology further influences that you are always constantly online, mm. always available. It's very difficult to just get a clean break from work. You you end up working in your uh, vacation leave time. Mm. You end up working on Sundays. So um, there's not a clear break. There's a lot of output that's more and more output required with the same amount of time. So what we see is an increase in burnout. But the problem with that is then that often burnout is seen as almost like a badge of honor because people are mm. not capable of dealing with all the emotions. We all have a point where we just clutch out, where we can't mm. cope anymore. So even if you are the most emotionally intelligent person, if you are constantly under pressure, then you will see that your ability to handle emotions, to handle stress becomes under increasing pressure. Yeah. And then in the end, it can turn into depression anxiety disorders, yes, quite serious mental illnesses. So even wow. the, a very emotionally intelligent person can battle if you constantly put them under strain the whole time. Mm. Wow. And, and it's, you just said something profound, and then we're going to move over to Marius, but you said something very profound. It's like, you know, your body is just like had enough and people wear mm. it like a badge. Mm-hmm. But do you, think, do you think when you go through a burnout, it's mm. literally your body shuts mm. down? Yes. You can't, it's mm. not like you can go say to your brain, okay, now let's not have a panic attack. And these are kind of things that, that corporates are starting to look at where they're yes. introducing half awareness days. Yes. But is that really enough? I think we must be careful to seem to be doing the right thing and not really doing it. You cannot say on the one hand, yes, a well-being problem, but we want you to produce more. Um, if we give you more demands, we must give more resources as well to cope with the demands. And I think we're all guilty of falling into the trap of wanting to show we are good, we work hard, we're good workers. And um, in a way, we allow them then to place more and more pressure on us. And at some point, you know, in my personal life, I was under, in academia, these these cycles of huge amounts of strain and then there's little calmer times now and then in Mm. between and when I was in one of that immensely very stressful times I started getting impatient and I thought but this is not me I'm a very patient person I thought I'm not liking the person I'm becoming so it can lead to us not actually liking who we are anymore and losing these skills that we have to cope with stress are overburdened our ability to deal with others become overburdened I'm very passionate about this because I see people are suffering. Yeah. And it's yeah. becoming very generic. And just to mm. your point is a principle isn't a principle until it costs you something. Mm-hmm. And that's something for you guys to think about. It's by William um, Bernbach. Those are powerful words. Carmen, I want to tie in with uh, Carolina said, you know, the current employee or the modern employee is working all the time. Mm. There is no time off. Mm. So, with the advancement of technology, you always have your cell phone with you. There's always somebody that can phone you. There's always somebody that can WhatsApp you. Your emails are on constantly. If you're not behind your computer, you're checking on your handheld device if there's mails that come through that maybe need your attention. So you're always aware that the work is looking it's like looking over your shoulder all the time. Mm. So there's something that you need to do. So you're always, can we say, on tippy toes. So I just want to create a picture now. So now you've got these stressed out people we think they go home on a Friday afternoon not and come back fresh on a Monday morning. They don't come fresh on a Monday morning because they never had a weekend. Yes. Okay. So maybe they had maybe one or two hours with the weekend or Sunday lows where mommy made a beautiful lamb roast or something. So they had that time away from the work. 
but there was no time off. So now you come back to work on a Monday morning and everybody is still stressed. But now let me just put this in perspective for you. As a head of department, so now I've got like 25 people who is stressed out on the Monday morning. So I have to come in there. I have to dance around and make those guys feel good. Because mm. as the head is, so is the staff. That's my principle. As wow. the head is, so is the staff. So if I'm going to come in there all doom and gloom, that's going to rub off. So I would rather rub off some friendliness and caring and kindness and mindfulness to my staff rather than the stress. And I always try to encourage myself, no, let's be friendly and all of that. So I would say the head of a department or the current or the modern boss, call it a manager, a CEO, whatever, they have a huge role to play in this. So what you sometimes happen is that you will find that I sometimes get home and I just literally pass out with my four babies. Three Yorkies and a Chihuahua. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) And I just sit there and I just spend time with them because you are so tired. Mm. Maybe have a glass of Chardonnay or something. That's always verb. Oh, or mm. verve. <laughs> no. That gets my motor racing. No, the modern boss is under huge pressure. Mm. They've mm. got to keep their staff motivated, mm. where they sometimes are not motivated. Mm. Yeah. Beata? Yeah. I think that ties in so nicely what we spoke about in the previous episode about how important it is because of leader sets the culture and the tone. And that's so important to me and so valuable what Maurice mentioned. But I think something that I want to steer in a little bit of another direction when Karolina initially spoke about burnout was something that I recently came across was reading about the importance of letting emotions be and letting them move through your system. Wow. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people fool themselves thinking that if I go running, etc., I'm, you know, getting rid of all this emotion. You are definitely getting rid of a lot of stress and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you also need to be careful because if you're suffering from burnout, going jogging is actually not the best thing for your body because your body's already tired. Mm. But having a way... Equipping people with skills to learn, to let emotions, to recognize an emotion, to see it for what it is, to appreciate it and let it move through the system. I think that's a skill that we need to to start mm. to develop with people so that they, they can get rid of those emotions because cropping them up is really where the problem comes mm. in. And I, I don't think we have those skills. And that's why I think emotional intelligence comes in is what can we do to let those emotions go through the system, to have them see them face them and have them move through. What can we do? I love that. It's so important because what we do is we tend to go into this positivity mode. It's the same as when with children, when a child is crying and we give them a sweetie, so we want the negative emotion to go away as soon as possible and we don't allow them to sit with it and to say it's also okay to experience a negative emotion. And that sit, sit through the emotion. I always say I can only feel the way I'm feeling today. And that's okay how I'm feeling today. And if today is not a good day, then I'm okay to sit with that not good feeling. And if you can become comfortable with that, but now, and that's sort of the downside of of the excessive 
positivity. Mm. That people do not feel comfortable to show their negative emotions or to talk about their negative emotions because you must be positive, look at the bright side, you know, all those typical quotes. Whereas it's really important to be able to sit with the hard stuff as well. Mm. And that is part of emotional intelligence. Um, Can I just add something there? Emotional intelligence, I think also sometimes people have a wrong idea. It's a, a popular understanding that might not always be correct that Emotional intelligence is a combination of factors. It's not one single thing. Some of them align with personality traits and it's on a continuum. So it's not like you have emotional intelligence or you don't. It's a continuum and you lie somewhere on a scale from 0 to 100, for example. So you can have higher or lower levels and in different areas. So you can have be very in touch with your own feelings So your intrapersonal sensitivity is very good. You understand yourself, you understand your emotions, you understand the impact of your emotions on others. But perhaps then interpersonal, you're not so strong. Or you can have very good interpersonal uh, understanding and a very good intrapersonal understanding, but your ability to handle stress is low. Mm. So we mustn't look at it as a unidimensional thing. It's multidimensional and Not just high or low, depends on where you lie with different aspects. It's got different aspects to it. You are talking my language and I'm loving what you're saying. So I'll give you an example of myself. So I like to call myself an empath. I don't know Mm -hmm. the right word, but Mm -hmm. I literally absorb people's energy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody is dull and weird and stressed, I then absorb that energy. Mm -hmm. They hijack my energy and then I inherit their secondary stress and then I exude it out and then I'm stressed and I'm like this is not even my stress Mm. and I think that this is Mm -hmm. playing off in the workplace quite um, usually or largely yes that's why we say things like surround yourself with positive people I saw a presentation the other day where someone did a presentation on leadership and I wish I can remember his name it's one of those things you come across Mm. accidentally on Facebook (laughs) and um But he said, get rid of the person that's making everyone else's life hard at work. Even if it's the best salesperson, the best manager. Was it him? I can't remember. It's Gary Vaynerchuk. He said, get rid of that person. Even if it's the best employer. Because Mm. that person will, they will, it's really like the... Fraud apple in the bag. Fraud apple, yeah. What's that in English? That in The the rotten apple. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever it is, Mm. if they're magnificent, Mm. but they make Mm. other people's lives miserable at work. Mm. You shouldn't have to deal with them. So that's important. The word empath has gained popularity. It's not really a scientifically not an established term, but we do talk about empathy. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of emotional intelligence is empathy Mm. to be able to place yourself in someone else's shoes and try and understand what they are going through, but not to the extent that you must have a boundary. And that's something we learn over time to have a boundary that I've learned because I'm a psychologist. If I do therapy with someone, I'm quite able to really be in the moment with them and walk away and not worry about them again until the next time. It's it's, incredible. You can acquire it. You can learn it because if you usurp all that Mm. negative energy, what's left of you? You, Then you, in the end, it's toxic. It becomes toxic, yeah. No, totally. And Mm. I I know for a fact that there's a lot of psychologists and people out Mm. there and life coaches that – coach each other mm. so they've one of my friends is involved in um, cyberbullying, and she's like some days i cannot handle the things that i'm hearing she's all about 
creating safe spaces um, mm-hmm. online. And mm-hmm. she says she she has to go and see a psychologist and then those psychologists need to go and see psychologists. Mm. It's like the weirdest mm. thing. So it's mm. a gift mm. in order for mm. you to learn the skill, but it's, yeah. I'm happy to hear Maybe that. Maybe I'm just cold-hearted. But no, <laughs> but I doubt that. I, 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 I doubt that, yeah. I think I'm very empathetic, but it's very important because it's about what power do I give to others. I can't give away something I don't have, firstly. Secondly, I can't give away everything because there'll be nothing left for me. So it's almost like constructive selfishness. Mm. There's something like that. It sounds awful, I know. Mm. but Is it a skill that you can learn, though? Well, I've learned it. I've learned it. I can hear horrid things and just move on then. Sweet yeah. Carol, I want to tie yeah. in um, something that, that Carolina brought up earlier, and that is the, the EQ in the workplace. You know, sometimes you look on Facebook and you just you click, 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 just scroll on the button down, you see what's been happening there. And every now and then some amazing thing pops up. And this was very interesting to me is that some workplaces are now, you know, when you get these psychometric testing to see if you fit the job and all of that, some yes. of them are actually doing um, EQ tests now to see what your level of emotion is when you come into the workplace. And so I don't know, the psychologist can maybe talk about that. But what was profound for me was that this statement is, IQ, and we all we, uh, coming from the from the from the academic environment, and people think that you, when you're a doctor or professor, you are got an extreme IQ. But it's just not, it's not about the IQ alone; mm-hmm. it's about the hard work. Mm-hmm. But IQ is not enough in life. EQ is needed. And then this person went on to say, IQ can get you into university, but the EQ will help you manage your life at university. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was wow. profound for me. That both of them is needed to be a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. A recent study showed that the best predictor of workplace performance is still, the most significant predictor is still intellectual ability. But then the other things are added onto it. So I know some people would argue that emotional intelligence is the most important aspect. And studies do sometimes differ. You know, for every study that says something, you'll find another study that says the opposite. But one study where they did a meta-analysis of many studies mm. over many years, mm. intellectual ability showed up as the strongest predictor. But you need that ability to just get along. I think it was Rockefeller, and I'm under correction now. Rockefeller said he will pay more for the ability to get along with people than any other ability wow. in the world. I hope it was him. Mm. Um, because if we can get along with people... Just to get along with people. You can really get far. Mm. It's, it's so true. Yeah. The, the thing is, is like, I think also when you, when you sit in a position where you have um, a superiority or a different work culture, mm-hmm. because, I mean, as globalization is happening more and more and more, marketers deal with this all the time where they need to, whether they call it, localize. Oh. Then we just love that fluffy word. Of the century, <laughs> oh, we love buzzwords. So. Oh my god! And marketing, oh. like the globalization. So it's in psychology of... also. <laughs> yeah. So now, somebody in India, in the UK or Paris, is sitting and defining how things need to play down in your country, and now you just have to make it appealing for the people here. But it's not necessarily the way that it will be received and perceived by the local culture. So this is also where this becomes a very interesting question is also with where it comes to EQ is diversity. Because when we hire, and, and Herman Singh, who spoke at 
the UJ Marketing Fit event mentions one profound thing that is super, super interesting. In one of the podcasts that we had before, um, he said that when people hire people, they hire people that are just like them. They don't like people that don't think the way they are. They don't have the same characters as what they are. And then what happens is this emotional intelligence is like the, the cohort starts. And it's like clicky, 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 clicky. Because people don't know how to embrace each other's diversity. And I think that's where the big challenge comes from a large corporate where it moves down to localization and then we sit with our own dynamics with 11 official languages, people that are very different, but also managing up to cultures from a global, on a global scale. Mm. So how, where do you start with that? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you always start with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> from Probably. the bottom up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Home. This is, that's why I still do parental guidance even now, because if we can start with children, to learn them uh, an emotional language, to learn them to express how they feel in decent way, you know, not in an explosive way. That is the things that then takes us into the ability to handle diversity. If we have the skills like the ability to handle stress, to understand my own emotions, to understand someone else's emotions, because that is what we have in common as human beings. Yeah. Uh, like an emotion like sadness. We may use different words for it or explain it or describe it differently, but that's, that's a universal experience, emotions. And then if you consider yourself an emotionally intelligent person, then with that would come a willingness to dive in and really make a concerted effort mm. to learn about someone else's sure. culture. I've got something to say on this. Um, you just touched lightly on globalization and i want to put my marketing cap on here for one second you get different segments in marketing and i just want to take the top two and you spoke about global globalization and then internationalization and there's, there's quite a difference between the two so if you do global marketing you would for example think of louis vuitton mm-hmm. so louis vuitton would be all across the world it would be the same so it's uniform that's called global marketing then you, for example, would get international marketing. So think of McDonald's there. So it, it's a look and the feel is slightly the same, mm-hmm. but there's a different message and a different recipe in every country. That's international marketing. And so you can come down all the way, all the way, all the way, and there's several, several layers down back to the, to the, to the, to the grassroots level. But I also think that we have to think about things like empathy maps and some marketers are starting to use as well. It's in an infant stage, and I haven't seen a lot of research on that, but what happens is you do a two-by-two two grit, actually, and you just ask, what is my customer saying about me? Mm. What is my customer thinking about me? What, do, but what does my customer do? Mm. Does he actually click on the click buttons? On, so does he do those things? And how does my customer feel? So that's what you do an empathy map, and you do all of those things. And out of that, you can create like a content analysis or whatever, and you can see – this is my new target. Mm. And it might be a person of 24, and it can also be in the same category, a person of 65. Mm. And it can be a white person, it could be a black person, it could be a young child, it could be a granny. So that's a different method of separating the market. And I honestly think that's where the world is going with all of this. 
Totally. And, and you know, Marius, just to your point, I mean, from my perspective as a customer experience expert, I have to tell you that empathy mapping is probably one of the most essential skills that any marketer in today needs to have. And the reason for that is because you identify what we call the moments of truth. So those are the yes and no decisions. And if you can identify the frictions and the barriers that are happening at a particular touch point, whether it's online and offline, that is where you can actually solve it. I mean, they say the future of work, and I actually, oh, I read it many, many years ago. We recently had John Flissmas on the show, and we were actually talking about it. We were talking about the future of work, and one of the interesting things is, is that one of the jobs that are predicted to be a job that's going to be very popular is a psychologist because of all of the connected devices and because we're always on our phones. We don't have the ability or the, the social skills to engage with one another. So psychologists are going to start playing a very, very important role in order to, you know, to get people to engage and to connect again. And in our previous episode, when we were talking about corporate culture, we were talking specifically around that. Mm. Um, I think for me, it's just in particular what I like about this whole about this whole thing of using an empathy map is that I'm always looking for substance and I feel like we're losing so much substance mm. when it comes to brands, when it comes to messages. And I think using this kind of approach where we look at that emotion and emotional intelligence in terms of really getting that substance and to touch the soul because that's what makes truly yes. great brands is when you can touch the soul in that uh, regard. And it becomes human powered. Yeah, it does. Know? It does. I agree with the psychologist element. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think they get robots now, we'll do counseling, for example. I must oh say, I'm word. horrified at the idea. Uh, and based nope. on, I know very little about robots, but I know there's, it's still with coding and algorithms that it would then give a particular response to something you say. We cannot, on the one hand, say, our children spend too much time on technology. We must learn them about face-to-face -face dealing mm. with people. Yes. And on the same hand, say, but let's have a robot doing the counseling. You know, it's like we, um, what's the uh, Contradicting. Contradicting ourselves. Yes. And um, it's very important because of the, the way technology is taking over. We mustn't just go along with it. I mm. think we must also stand firm and say, but these things mm. cannot be replaced. Mm. The, mm. the human, that human yeah. element, the warmth. When yeah. you get warmth, kindness, yes. graciousness. I think that's what we stress about a lot, but I actually just wanted to make a little joke and, and say that I think, um, you know, wouldn't it be easy to program this robot because it, all it has to do is, how does, you, how does how that do you make feel? you feel? How do you feel? <laughs> yeah. And how does that I hear what you, you say. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, no, but I completely, mm. I completely agree. You know, I think everyone is very paranoid that, you know, we're going to lose the human touch. And that's so important because our emotions are what make us so unique. Mm -hmm. Yet, why are we so bad at managing them? Yes. You know, yeah. we need yeah. skills. Yeah. Our emotions literally can can cause our own burnout at the mm. end of the day. So we need those skills. We, mm. we need to, and, mm. I, and I don't know if you want to, you know, maybe give us a couple of pointers or something. You know, why do we manage these crazy things called emotions? <laughs> what I've learned is that some people are just not interested in learning about. They're not interested in working on themselves. Mm. We can't, you need a willing person, firstly. And then it's also interesting that we see that you need a minimum level of intelligence to work on, Emotional intelligence. Oh, wow. You must have a sort of a 
cognitive ability to understand on a function on an abstract level and things like that. And then, like you mentioned, narcissists. If a person has a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, not just some, he's not lying on the continuum somewhere because we all lie somewhere on the continuum. Mm. Uh, it's not like you are or you are not. Then those things can complicate it. But if you have a willing person who are willing to sit and go and delve into their own emotions and learn to identify it, whether it's through writing a journal, whether it's going to see, and it doesn't have to be a psychologist even, a counsellor or a sometimes social, or a social worker or someone, if you have a counsellor at work, just to help you start to identify. If you know you are not good with identifying your emotions and accepting your emotions. Mm. And, under, and the third thing is then understanding the impact your emotions have on other people, on mm. yourself, then on others. So there are books to read. There are many books. Of, we have so m many self-help books at the moment. There are YouTube clips you can, can watch. Can you mention mm. a few? Oh, not off the top of my head. I'll, I'll have to think. <laughs> oh, I must say, I can't mention ones either, but I agree with you because it feels like that whenever you go to a bookstore. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like so, yeah you must be careful you because there's, also, there's a lot of pop, pop psychology also. Mm. It's not. Oh, that's a big topic that's happening yeah. at the moment. Mm. That you must be careful of yeah. so that what you do is – Stick to the evidence, mm. what's yes. evidence-based. But it's about being prepared to make the effort. I think that's what's important. Mm. Because then you can start and slowly, firstly, identify where are the areas you need to work on. And then you can work with someone. You can work with, even with a good friend. You can go to a therapist or whatever. You can work by yourself. You can mm. journal. Some people have spiritual practices. Mm. Yes, that can help them. Meditation is a big thing at the Meditation yeah. is yeah. a big yeah. thing. And find, there's, oh, there's actually so many ways to do it. But if you're not willing to do it, and that's mm. where the problem mm. is. When someone thinks he or she's perfectly fine mm. <laughs> and they're affecting everybody around them and not even realize it, you need some insight mm. into yourself to be able to change. But you can learn. Mm. can learn. We can become better. We can be the best versions of ourselves. Mm. I think for me, a large thing also that we as a society need to start working on is our perception about emotion, our perception about going to see a psychologist, our perception about talking about feelings. And I think recently I went to a leadership course which was focused specifically on women and all the dynamics that women then. And one of the things that they made us aware of was also the role of the man and to appreciate what a typical, and I'm making a broad assumption here. I mean, please, I know everybody's not the same. I'm talking broadly in terms of we don't always appreciate the fact that men have this boys don't cry mm -hmm. aspect, which is hanging over them. And I think a lot of men have huge difficulty in dealing with their emotions yes. because of the societal way in which they are brought mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. taught to think about stuff. Women are a lot more verbal in terms of emotions and that, but it also fits that particular feminine role better. But I think in general, societal perception needs to change about this because we need to appreciate that we are human beings. And hopefully the fact that technology and robots are becoming such a massive thing, we're going to start to realize But the only thing that distinguishes us is the fact that we have emotions. Yes. So hopefully that will put this more on the radar and we'll have conversations more about how do we deal with emotions and, and not be so shy and shy away from it. I want to take this conversation, and we've mentioned this before slightly, is that the 4IR angle and the robotics of it and how robotics is moving and all of that. And... One of the things about somebody who, who has a good EQ 
is somebody that maintains their relationships well. They can talk to other people um, and they mm-hmm. val- develop and maintain good relationships. And they're also very willing and they're keen to work in teams. Now, if you go on to the and you put a four hour angle on this, and I've just published a paper on this actually, and uh, where the world is going digital and more and more transactions are happening online. And I'm asking myself the question where do marketers now build their relationships? We have to redefine, and it's a new concept called an e relationship. Mm. So, three, four years ago, we never knew about this. So now in the emotional EQ scale, we now are bringing relationship definitions into a 4IR concept that has huge implications for the psychologist. It has huge implications for the EQ scales. It has huge implications for marketers Mm. because no longer is relationship marketing and CRM what it used to be Mm. about the building of relationship. You go into the shop because that person or that lady behind the Clarence counter or that person in the Levi store has got a good relationship with you. That is going out the window because now we are going on the click. Yeah. You click and you do your shopping at 12 o'clock at night when you can't sleep. Your better pelik is having scooped in yet. <laughs> so then you are awake. Mm. So we are in a world now where new definitions and new concepts are starting to emerge mm. and we have to deal with that. Mm. And that is a very, very interesting topic to have. And you're calling yourself, causing yourself burnout because you're shopping at 12 at night instead of sleeping. <laughs> instead of sleeping because you're like, oh, what's the next thing I need to buy? This consumerism is mm. another thing for another day. Yeah, spending money you don't have. <laughs> but, but just before we go on to that, I have to tell you a story because you, you're a psychologist, so mm-hmm. you're going to relate to this. So I've recently started my journey with a stylist. She's a stylist whisperer. Mm. And she identified something very interesting that the reason that because I I'm not a hoarder, but I have a lot of clothing. And one thing that she identified was the fact that I am hiding behind emotions and there's some trauma that I need to deal with in my in my younger days. And what it stemmed from is because we grew up poor. I always used to get the hand me downs from three or four generations. So for me, it was always important to feel like I'm doing that and that almost is like how you weigh yourself how you get in touch with yourself is by the way how you project yourself and that is a false sense of emotion because you're following the endorphins by buying clothing that you're only going to wear once and then you put it back in the cupboard but you're not dealing with the real emotion behind it now everybody knows way too much about me but anyway um, but but this is things that I think consumers are starting to become very aware mm-hmm. and woke to this, mm-hmm. for a lack of a better term. What I I'm not in marketing, mm. but what I've noticed just by observing my teenage children is that they are more savvy than we were. They are not easily fooled by marketing campaigns. They ask different questions. They are mo- way more critical, and they are. It's like they're more straightforward in saying how they feel about things. They don't have a problem with saying not interested or just skip mm. with one click. Swipe <laughs> left. Yeah. yeah, they are different. So, and uh, if it comes to consumerism, mm. it's a bit off the topic of marketing. But remember, marketing also buys into low self-esteem. Mm. 
selling lifestyles, mm. selling what makes you feel good. You deserve this. Get this for you because you deserve it. Mm. You're worth it. You know, those kind of messages. And if you are a person with unresolved issues, with many negative emotions, it can become almost a placebo, mm. temporary help. It's only there for the moment. It's not a long-term yes. strategy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. There's also the mommy factor in marketing, but it's slightly off the topic. Shall I tell you what a mommy factor is? Yeah, I love yes, that. Yes. Yeah? I don't Cal- know what it is, but it sounds good. <laughs> Catalogs, for example, use the mommy factor. So what they do is they say... They aim the catalogs or the strawberry pops to the, to the family, but they're actually appealing to the child. So what the child will do is when they walk down Checkers' aisle, the child will drag on mommy's arm and say, please buy this for me. Please buy this for me. That's called the mommy, mommy factor. factor. So, it, so mm. indirectly, they target the mommies. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. There's some psychology for you behind that, hey, Carolina? Yes, I've, I've heard of that. And also what's interesting is if you look at one of the problems with the technology is that you see beautiful things the whole time. Mm. Mm. And if you are not a self-content person, you will continue to look for answers in all these things because it never ends. It's not like you had to go into a store to see what is there. Now it's there the whole time. Oh, I want this. Oh, this is beautiful. Mm. And that's part of emotional intelligence also, to shop intelligently, Yes, Mm. to know when to stop. Yeah, that's so, so true. I think... Let's go back to talking about the different forms and shapes of EQ. I really want us to get into that. So if we look at our daily interactions with humans, I just want to maybe just go back a step. Simon Sinek talks about this thing where we should not allow cell phones in corporate meetings because that moment when you walk in and you have your phone next to it, you already have a a moment to escape Mm. a conversation so you could actually learn a lot from your colleague by sitting there and say, hey, how's it? How was your weekend? What did you do? Da, 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 and ask questions and, oh, are you struggling with this project? Let me try and help you with this. But, but the, because there's no communication happening, what happens is when we feel uncomfortable, we go and hide behind the phone. And I think this is where it's becoming a huge challenge. And I want to just understand what the forms and shapes is in daily interactions where we demonstrate good and bad EQ. Can I come in on this Mm -hmm. one? I have a rule in our department, you can ask Beata, that no laptops allowed. Because somebody once said on radio, the minute you sit in a meeting or in a group of friends and your cell phone is there and it rings or whatever or an email comes through, I automatically show the person next to me that I found something more interesting which mm. I can pay attention to now, which is disrespectful to the person next to you. That disrespect is not shared by the generations coming in now. For them, it's not disrespectful to do that because that is their way of life. So it's also a generation thing yeah. But the, the problem is that the advancement of technology has encroached our lives so much. And to start off where we started this conversation, where we say that people are so stressed out and they've got things to do. And the reason why people take their laptops and their, uh, their technology devices into a meeting is so that they can stay abreast with what is happening. We no longer have one-hour meetings. We have four, five-hour meetings. So in that four, five-hour meeting, 60 emails came through. And when you open up that thing, you're horrid by this and you feel totally out of touch of the world. Yeah. So that is then okay, in inverted commas, and I'm air quoting, yeah, to be working while you're having a meeting. 
Which is also working. Which is also working. But how good is that for your stress and your EQ? It just compounds. Yes. Oh, that's a big one. Mm. Okay. I think um, if you look at bad and good examples of how we behave, something like blowing your top at work <laughs> to lose complete control of yourself. It's generally a person with good EQ will be able to control impulses. Mm-hmm. So they would not, can I say, completely lose it at mm. work and Shout at people and throw toys out of a car. That would be an example of not demonstrating good emotional intelligence. And, but remember, it's on a continuum and we all have different levels of what we can handle at different times in our life. So you can have a person with a really solid, emotionally intelligent person who might have a really bad experience and have an explosion. It doesn't mean they're not emotionally Mm. intelligent. But that's a typical example that I can think of in a workplace environment. Sometimes you will find persons that are very negative. They're very pessimistic. Mm. And a pessimism is also sort of a subdimension of um, lower levels of emotional intelligence. Where optimism is considered more related to higher levels of emotional intelligence. But now, sometimes it might also be that the person has something like depression and a negative mood is part of depression. Some people have a very negative, what we call a negative explanatory style. Uh, They frame things negatively always. And that's part of their personality. It may possibly never change. Mm. Yeah. Wow. But so it can be an element of emotional intelligence, but it also aligns with something like a personality trait. Something else is like flexibility. And this is where the ability to cope with change comes in a lot. Generally, people resist change mm. in any event. But a person that are flexible or find it easier to adapt with change. But you will know in a workplace environment that person just cannot move. But we've always done it this way. Why do we need to change? They just cannot move and change. And that huge element of resistance can cause a lot of problems in a workplace setting or even in a family. Yes. So the ability to be flexible and look at things you know, from different perspectives and adapt is huge. It's And it's similar to one of the big five personality traits of openness to experience. Mm. To be open, those are people that will find it easier to cope because they are open. They understand that things can change and they mm. can adapt to it. You said something uh, very profound. Um, I want to tie in with um, what Carolina said. And I read an article once where this guy said that it's sometimes very difficult if you're a manager or a boss or a supervisor or CEO of a company, that you cannot have a blanket approach to the management of your staff. And it ties in exactly with what she said. Now, some people are by nature quite negative. Some people are by nature quite positive. And then a continuum is quite in between. And this is the analogy that this person said. He says, always look at your staff like they fruit in a bowl. If you squeeze an apple, you can bruise it. If you squeeze an orange, nothing's going to happen. If you squeeze a pineapple, it's going to stick you back. And that is the way you should approach your staff. Each one has got its own little micromanagement style. Not micromanagement looking over your shoulder, but you're going to adapt your style in managing all your people. 
And it ties in exactly what Carolina said. For some people, just have easy fit when you just look at them, skiff. For the international audience, skiff is like skew. But it's so profound. And thanks for bringing that up, Marius. In actually the previous conversation, we were talking about corporate culture. It was all about micromanagement and how do you have the ability or the EQ to deal with somebody that is literally stripping away your character, stripping away your confidence, stripping away what you're all about, your skills, um, and literally taking your dignity away from you? How are you supposed to have the EQ to deal with a person like that? Sometimes you have to move away. If you apply everything and you do almost want to say by the EQ book and you do the best and it still happens, sometimes we need to geographically distance <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> sometimes if you are in a very toxic work environment, you can be very emotionally intelligent and it can still be very hard and it might be that you need to leave. Mm. Just further to that point, and this is maybe the gray lines for me. It's Let's talk about... I know this is not completely off topic. Sexual harassment, we also sp- spoke about this in corporate culture. If we have an incident like sexual harassment work happening in the workplace, right? So what would happen is the company doesn't want it to be seen in the light. So they say, okay, here's a check for you. Don't ever speak about this again. And the problem is sorted, but the problem never comes to the light. Mm-hmm. And because it's not coming to the light, it festers. It is being fostered and nurtured in corporate environments and it never gets dealt with and it becomes part of this system that we mm. actually need to revolt against. Toxic. Mm. 100% correct. I also yes. have a philosophy that, um, and it comes with um, emotional intelligence and it comes with how to deal with conflict. And that is this one situation. Conflict can never be swept under the carpet. A little bit of conflict in the workplaces is not because it creates creativity and it creates, it can increase production. But a lot of stress can kill people, as we've said before. But when there's conflict in a work environment, and I'm telling you from my own approach and the 602 books I read on it, (laughs) (laughs) is that it needs to come out. I'm a firm believer in that if staff comes to you with a problem, you have to see it from their side. In my eyes, it might be totally insignificant, but in their eyes, it's very significant. Mm. And that significance can rub off to other staff. And you have to call them in. You don't have to do it confrontational, but you have to expose it. I always say, and this is my, one of my philosophies, remove the energy from the conflict. Because wow. then there ain't any conflict left. And the way to do that is just to bring it up to the surface. You don't have to involve the entire department in that. Involve the people that I do. But that's one of the ways that, that I emotionally discharge potential harmful situations. Incredible. Oh my gosh, I wish we had more time. Like, mm-hmm. But th- that's what the white paper is for, right? Yes. <laughs> so d- guys, below um, is the link to to the the actual white paper. But maybe, do you want to share, um, Carolina, do you want to share some closing thoughts and then we'll go around and then it's game time. Mm-hmm. Yes, my closing thought would be, just on your comment of the conflict, emotionally intelligent people can also handle conflict, whereas uh, people generally avoid conflict. It is absolutely worth it to invest in your own emotional intelligence. Take time and take effort, make a concerted effort, because we're never there. Mm. There's always more growth that can take place. And it will make, it impacts all areas of your life. 
Cool. I think for me, um, it's getting back to what I've also mentioned earlier, and that's that we need to learn to appreciate emotion and to release it mm. um, because it's something which can be incredibly harmful. And also I would like to make a call on society to say that, you know, let's stop the way in which we classify emotion as a weakness, yes. as something that you're not supposed to talk mm-hmm. about. Amen. Let's stop cropping it up. Running 10 kilometers a day is not going to take this away. You need to process and deal with this emotion. And let's just start with that. My conclusive message is to people who are working on branding and people are working on marketing media, marketing messages out there, is that we have to change the way that we send marketing messages out. And I think the future is using things like empathy maps and all of that and going away from segmenting markets, for example, according to age or according to geography or whatever. And we're going to to start asking the questions, what do the people say, think, do and feel about my product? Love that. Such Mm -hmm. power. It's true. True fact. Okay, so... In tradition, we play this game on the show. And since you guys are so academic, oh, please. <laughs> please, let's uh, we know check our your general field. knowledge. Okay. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are going to let Barry Hilton give us a bit of guidance. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here, and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers. But this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Yes. Well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it, go. Women's perfumes. Gucci. Um, Gucci, Dior, um, and um, and Daniel Tommy. and Okay, okay, Tommy. Tommy. Okay. All France on the N1 in Johannesburg. All what? Gordon in 14 Bays of Dior. Oh, Streets in Central Johannesburg. Uh, Marshall. Uh, Marshall. Um, Yellow, uh, Smith Street. Number one, yeah, number two. Yeah, yeah, okay, computer brands. Dal, you look back uh, on HB, Dal, and um, Apple. Okay, mining towns in South Africa. Belfast, Leidenberg. Rustenburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, carrots, characters in SpongeBob squ- SquarePants. Oh, no. Squidward. Um, SpongeBob. SpongeBob. <laughs> Mr. Krabs. Oh, um, oh, well done. Okay, members of the Beatles. Ooh. Oh, uh, Marcus uh, Peter Kuebel. <laughs> <laughs> Sirs of British music. What? Sirs of British music. Uh, that's uh, Elton John. Uh, Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well, you did very, very well. And I love how you improvise. Listen, you, you've missed your calling. I think you should become a comedian. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I think I think uh, for the next marketing, uh, fit UJ marketing event, maybe we should hook you up with a comedian and uh, you do a show for us. Mm-hmm. Huh? Oh God! I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure you'll be fabulous. That would be fabulous. Morris is always oh, fabulous. Anyway, 
Um, guys, thank you so much for listening and please do check the show notes and um, always remember to develop your own emotional intelligence and we want to thank the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management for making this incredible episode possible. Thank you. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.